0: Cool Initiatives is seeking to support, develop and invest in ideas or edtech businesses that will help schools and teachers to operate more efficiently and effectively. As you're listening to the EdTech podcast, you may well have a great idea or know someone else who has an idea that you think would help schools and teachers to do this. And we'd be delighted to talk to you. We're very happy to discuss administrative tools as well as learning technologies, or you may have a non-digital product or other service that you think would be useful. Cool Initiatives already works with over 12,000 schools every day with 20 years experience of building and sustaining a profitable business. We want to be able to use that experience to support others at the very start of their journey and build something great together. So you may have already started a business and want to take it to the next stage or just have an idea and don't really know how to turn it into a business. You may not know your CAC from your LTV your IP from your MVP, or your burn rate from your churn rate. But don't worry, buzzword bingo is not our game. We're here to help turn a great idea into a great business. To find out more about our investment approach, take a look at our website, coolinitiatives.com, and please just get in touch. We would love to hear more about your ideas and how they could support education.
1: to the EdTech podcast, the show about improving the dialogue between Ed and tech for better innovation and impact. My name is Sophie Bailey and this week I'm in Helsinki at the rather exciting 100 Summit. But. This week on the podcast, we are looking at saving teachers time and you'll hear from our live podcast collaboration with the Teacher Toolkit podcast recorded at the EdTech Podcast Festival. In conversation are Ross Morrison-McGill, founder of Teacher Toolkit, Rory McGrath, the deputy headteacher for the New Wave Federation, James Bowen, director of NAHT Edge and the NAHT podcast podcast. That's the National Association of Head Teachers Podcast, and Laura McInerney, co-founder of TeacherTap. Before all that, a quick shout out to Cool Initiatives for supporting this week's episode. Go and check out the Cool Initiatives website at www.coolinitiatives.com and see how their upcoming competition might be able to help support your great education idea. You can also hear from the winner of this year's competition at the end of this episode. I'm also pleased to start including some quick cutaways in these festival episodes, sharing the voices of some of our attendees from the festival. Here's our first one from South London teacher and listener Cameron Mohammed, which I thought was very insightful on the value of teacher time.
2: Uh, hi, I'm Cameron Mohammed, uh, and my Twitter handle is at cleftasunder. I am a secondary school teacher down in South London. Um, I like to coin myself a teacher of STEAM, Uh, but particularly at the moment I'm doing a lot of computing, a lot of maths, um, and uh, trying to make a maker's movement within my school and within the locality as well. Fantastic. So
3: in trying to build a maker's movement in your school and and locally, what are the things that you are trying to get either your students to to spend time on or, 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 or other teachers or parents? I mean, how are you pulling that movement together? Um, I think it's
2: it's one is to actually come from a sort of problem solving sort of route, um, and and that's sort of the sort of the essence of really good project based learning. Um, and next will be then creativity, and then how we can use the subject knowledge and the understandings to fulfil that creative uh, notion to solve a problem. Um, I'm really keen um, to look at robotics this year, but uh, really simple robotics. Um, I was doing a, a workshop. Uh, uh, earlier this year where we took cardboard boxes uh, and basic motors connected with mic a micro bit um, and gave the illusion of a robot petting zoo. Cool. So you'd give the simple thing of you feed the animal something that triggers a mechanism or triggers a, a sort of a circuit yeah. um, and then the robot would react or essentially a cardboard box where the mechanism would be like opening the mouth um, and lighting up the eyes.
3: Fantastic. So if you could, if you could then focus... Your energies, or, or specifically, if you could, let's say you had a million pounds to invest in one tool or service or collection of things. Obviously, the makerspace is really important to you. Where, where would you make that investment?
2: Oh may, um, for you. um. I, I I guess it's it's really difficult. I mean you could there's a, a plethora of equipment that you'd yeah. want um, there's a plethora of resources. I think if I could buy something, I'd want to buy some time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be the biggest thing and actually buy um uh I guess sort of a lot of electronics a lot of electronics, a lot of scrap electronics, a lot of junk, a lot of recyclable things. I
3: like that. Um, We've which a long way, probably. Right? Hopefully, yeah. I
2: mean, with a million pounds, worth, yeah, exactly. you know, But I'd like to do that and then just have enough t- volunteers who are trained with the idea to, to then mentor smaller groups and then bring them in. I think, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's, I think about a couple of years ago, we were all saying this device or this thing, or let's get VR, let's get this website. But it's always got to be how you take the pedagogy and how you link that to the human beings you're involved with, to then get some learning goals achieved. So it's never going to ever be just one amazing device that's going to cost a few million. Actually, I probably would scrap that, take maybe a hundred thousand. Put the other bit, and then just start doing that in other places around the country, so that there is a whole national movement about
3: trying to make things to solve problems. I love that. I love that. Hundred pounds on on the bits and pieces. (laughs) Yeah. basically get people thinking
2: yeah maybe just get that get the kids to then say okay you've made this you've created this how can we package this and then send it to another school or send it to another part of the world where they too would then start thinking about making start combining creativity with computing and design and thinking and get them to solve problems where they are that's brilliant Brilliant. you could just parachute them across the
3: world (laughs) (laughs) kind of reminds me of the when you would get the 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 box of just Lego pieces right no instructions oh my god yeah right back how it used to be right yeah and you would just experiment and learn honestly yeah that's fantastic All All alright so that's great answers Um, one more if if we can sure Uh, yeah yeah. so we're at this podcast festival right Um, there's a lot of well I think about two things so one is what are the podcasts people listen to, but also for our own professional development? You know, where how are we connecting out into the podcast world uh, to learn? Uh, mm-hmm. So, for you, when you think about your professional development or, or other teachers that you know, uh, what are the the podcasts you're turning to?
2: Um, it's, it's a, um, At the moment, I think when it comes to my own passions and stuff like that, I think education, technology, obviously, listening to the EdTech podcast, when it comes to just technology itself and just something that's really interesting and entertaining, I look into The Verge a lot. And I'm a a huge, I'm a huge, huge fan. I mean, I'm listening to them for for such a long time um, because the combination of being entertaining, informative about new technologies. I think a lot of what we already teach in computing is outdated to uh, to the point that we have to keep on top of that. Um, I'm also doing a lot of work in terms of implementing Google Classrooms this year as well. So I'm on there. I think Google Tribes is currently my uh, fan, one well, I'm a big fan of at the moment. Um, and I'm just listening to
3: uh, those people. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So it, I mean, that, that's amazing. And if you could think of one voice you'd really like to hear on some sort of upcoming podcast and any of those you just mentioned like is there is there one person you want to hear from is there anyone out there you think I really like to to hear how they think anything along those lines
2: It's really interesting. So talking about The Verge, talking about the greater world. Um, they do pretty I mean, at the moment they're doing what they do a weekly part. Po- they do a weekly section just about Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. I've heard this one, yeah. And I think few people doing that. Yeah. I yeah, am yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting. He's taking he's taking on the, the challenge of transport because we have a huge environmental issue. I would wonder what his take would be on education itself. And I know he has something within his own organization for the employees to send their kids to. I mean, I remember going to... Uh, I, remember, I used to do Minecraft a lot, and Minecraft with the kids a great deal. So I went to the MineCon conference when he was here, and I remember seeing him with a group of kids in the VIP section. Um, and I'm like, well, yeah, okay, maybe he's got some idea. So I'd love to probably hear Elon Musk's take
3: on what education could do with Um, all right you hear that sophie elon musk that's got to be your next (laughs) guest let's make that happen Um, all right well this has been fantastic thank you so much really appreciate it and uh and best of luck with the new term bless thank you (laughs) thank
2: you
1: so great to hear cameron on the podcast after listening in since our very early launch days okay let's jump into our feature talk for this week's episode as ever, all the links and news on how to keep up to date with new festivals are in the show notes. Have a good week and remember, if it's not an aqua blue marking pen, it just doesn't count. Bye-bye. Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, we're now on our last uh, live podcast, so thank you all for sticking around. We have got one extra guest, hence the uh, the empty chair there. H- here he is. It's As if uh, by magic, he's just appeared. Um... So whilst he gets set up, um, I am going to hand over to Ross Morrison-McGill. Thank you very much, AKA uh, Teacher Toolkit, um, who can introduce the session and our lovely guests. And this is a really important one on saving teacher time. So hopefully lots of nuggets of wisdom. So uh, would you like to jump up? And thanks to all of our lovely guests today. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Sophie. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Thank you for coming along. Uh, My name's Ross, uh, teacher toolkit on Twitter. Um, We have Laura. Do you want to introduce yourself, Laura, to everybody? Is that because you're (laughs) trying to avoid
5: saying my surname? McInerney. (laughs) McInerney.
4: I'm
5: Laura McInerney, (laughs) and I'm the co-founder of TeachTap.
6: Okay, thank you. And James? Uh, James Bowen from National Association of Head Teachers,
7: or NAHT for short. I'm Rory. And I'm Rory, um, interim head teacher at Shackwell Primary School in Hackney.
4: Okay, so... um, We've got a good half an hour or so to talk about uh, workload, come up with some ideas, some insights as to what we've got on the stage. Uh, We might be able to squeeze in some questions from you at the very end. I'm going to start with Rory, because I've not met Rory before, Um, and I know as a busy deputy head teacher, uh, you'll be under the cost yourself, Um, but what's workload like in your school? (laughs) Put me
7: right on the spot. we found that workload is is pretty intense there's a lot of things that the teachers are required to do Um, but what we've really found is that the use of our technical devices has allowed a more flexible approach to that workload so we have incredibly high expectations so we do expect a lot uh, from them but actually being able to pick up the device walk out the door at four o'clock go and do their family duties and then choose to work at home if they want to has allowed that uh, expectation to remain high but ultimately uh, not impact negatively on their family okay, life.
4: Okay, and is there any particular devices that you... We,
7: so we, we're, we're an Apple Distinguished School. So we have um, a one-to-one deployment across our five and six classes and we have uh, one to two uh, in reception to year four. So that's for the students and then every teacher has their own teacher okay. iPad and Apple Pencil.
4: And uh, when did you introduce this? Um, this is our
7: fifth year with Apple Technologies. and um, We do have Chromebooks as well to support the sort of more traditional approach to using a laptop. Um, but the use of the Apple device as a teacher tool, is about four years old now. So we had them with the children first, and then have rolled it out to the t- teachers as well.
4: Okay, thank you very much, um, Laura. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about Teacher Tap.
5: I can, and I can also. I might challenge you or push you back a little bit Rory, on something that you just said, because um, so Teacher Tap is this app that we invented about a year ago. Um, and it surveys teachers every single day. We've got about 2,700 teachers on each day and they just answer three questions about their work day. Mm -hmm. Um, We encourage everybody to be on it because it's a good way of us collecting data that we don't currently have about teachers. We don't know what time they get to work. We don't know where they eat their lunch. We don't know anything about them and they're leaving the profession at such high rates. Mm -hmm. Unless we can find out more about their daily lives and we can tweak environment in which they're working we think we're not going to get any better at keeping those teachers on board and one of the things we've discovered is this very habit of teachers getting to work incredibly early because they've got to be there before the morning rush you can't be late They then, they're then there from 7.30, they work incredibly hard all day, and then they, they apologise for leaving at 4.30, and they say, I'm really sorry, I've got to go home and see my children, as if that's not allowed when you've got a job. And then they feel a, a certain amount of pressure to begin again at night with emails, with PowerPoints, with these devices. And actually, I think that is driving, in some senses, um, workload that feels flexible, mm but it's actually quite bad for you, in the same way that, you know, I I quite like eating lots of chocolate, but if I did it all of the time, it would, in fact, be quite bad for me.
4: So, your data, um, do you have a a kind of demographic spread of users across the country, leaders,
5: primary school teachers? So, all teachers can be on it. Of the 2,700, about... 1600 are secondary and just over a thousand are primary so we split quite well between those two but we would like more primary teachers in there and we're slightly over on head teachers which isn't a bad problem to have we can we can figure out uh, if the results are coming through a little bit strange and if you're on the app mm-hmm. you do get to see the results each day as well so you can nosy in on what's happening okay in so I've vehicles. got
4: the app and I would recommend uh, if you don't use it teacher tap get it on your phone and it'll ping you a questionnaire every day uh, what was the question you asked users today or am I putting you on the spot here
5: no no we <laughs> Um, actually, I asked something from here earlier because I asked someone if, what, what question they would most like to ask a teacher and I had a gap available. And they said that if your head teacher came to you on Monday and they said that you could pick from one of three types of resources, any subject, topic of your choice, and you could have a textbook or you could have editable word worksheets or you could have an AI chatbot, what would you choose we'll find out by 3.30 tomorrow right. what they said.
4: we to wait then. <laughs> so get on the app if you want see to the, see the answers. Uh, thank you, Laura. Um, James, NEHT Insights uh, or NEHT Edge, um, what are, what's the kind of common things that school leaders are saying to you through your channels? Um, I think
6: when it comes to workload, I think there's complete recognition across the sector that something needs to be done. I think, you know, all the data out there. It's clear in terms of recruitment and retention. It's no longer an option. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been an option for a number of years. But I think most schools I speak to now are saying, we're having to do something about this. Um, which, you know, the number of teachers who are leaving the first five years of teaching, etc. So the imperative is to do something. Um, I think when it comes down to what's driving the workload, what's causing it, you can kind of look at the, the, the kind of macro level, and so much of that I still think is being driven by about the accountability structures we have, and we can you know, talk about how, how that happens, and I think that's been long in the making. But in terms of you go to specifics, um, most teachers will say to me, look, it's still, things, it's still the marking that's massively impacting on my time, um, it's still all sort of the data entry and the, the data crunching, and to an extent the planning, although most teachers I speak to actually sort of say, I don't mind the planning bit so much because I'm interested in creating really exciting, engaging lessons going to help the children learn. Um, I think one of the things we've got to be really clear about is teachers don't mind working hard. Um, I've you know, never met a teacher who doesn't mind working really hard. The problem they have is doing tasks that they feel are having no impact at all, when they feel they're wasting their time and doing things for the so sake of I, it. Can I push you for an example? Um, I, I think we got there with some of the data tracking stuff. Um, I think you know, using data to inform teaching and learning is useful I think if you're doing a data drop every two or three weeks for every child in your class and then you're cutting it 70 different ways because you're analysing free school meal children who had SCN three years ago that are boys versus the ge- you get to that kind of level and we, we just went too far with it and I was guilty of that as a school leader um, so I think that, that
4: might be an example where less is more you know, let's just be a bit more simple here Okay. Um, thank you um, and Particularly for head teachers, I'm going to go back to that point. What what is their workload issue? I think uh, so much of it
6: for head teachers, it, again, it still feels like it's driven by inspection and accountability. Um, and although I think there are signs that things are moving in the right direction, I think there's signs that Ofsted have understood and DFE have understood, um, so much of a headteacher's work is still about preparing things just in case. Um, I better have a file or multiple files on my desk in case the inspector comes in and asks for something that I otherwise won't have. Or I better have all those spreadsheets ready just in case. And it's interesting, because Ofsted will say, well, we don't want that anymore, we don't want that anymore. But this is something that's been decades in the making. (laughs) This is something that's been going on an awful long time. And when I say to headteachers, you know you don't really need a lot of that stuff anymore, they'll say, I'm not sure I trust that. I think I need to go through at least two inspections before I'm willing to sort of put that... Because the stakes are so high. The risk of not having that piece of information, not having that piece of evidence and things going wrong, it's just a risk that's not worth taking for them. So I think it's still about... The having stuff ready, the evidencing, the preparation, the audit trail side of things.
4: Okay, and uh, the NHT NH- published the accountability report um, last Friday. Yeah. Um, could I just have a show of hands if anyone's seen anything on social media or anything read in the press about NHT? Okay, so I I'm going to go back to our press <laughs> officer immediately and tell him he's doing a terrible so, job. James, can, I get, can I get their workload highlights from the recommendations? So there were nine. Yeah, I mean,
6: again, the workload,
4: we we didn't sort of specifically say too much about, you know, stop doing
6: this, start doing this. It it came back to the broader culture. It it came back to actually if schools are working in fear of the system and if they feel they have to gather all this evidence just in case, that's going to drive workload. Um, So we didn't really talk too much specifically about individual things to stop and start doing. It was much more around sort of, the bigger picture and the way that the accountability system is putting such pressure on schools you know one year's set of dodgy data and you start worrying for your job Mm -hmm. Um, and now that's not workload but that's incredibly stressful you know and actually you know stress is as much of the problem so you know, if you're not sleeping at night because you're constantly panicking about will I have a job next year with this set of results and that's not an exaggeration You know, some, we've seen some stories on Twitter recently about people talking about that kind of stuff um, and I think that kind of level of stress uh, is yeah. as much of a problem as the workload. Uh,
4: okay, thank you and so Rory, um, how do you manage teacher well-being in your school uh, when you might notice the signs of staff feeling under pressure? That's a good question, um, so we've got a lucky position
7: that we have a wealth of teachers from all stages of their careers so we have uh, Teach First all the way through to you know 10 plus years of experience so we've set up a coaching system that each experienced member of staff is able to identify and work with a developing teacher and um, sometimes it's around uh, subject knowledge, sometimes it's around pedagogy sometimes it is around um, well-being but the idea is there that you've got that personal relationship within the school so that if things are getting on top of you even if it's not explicitly in the remit of the, the, the beginning of the project you actually were able to offload and share and ask for advice. So we, we find that, in addition to you know the more traditional mentoring for your NQTs, so has has helped build a culture where the teachers want to be open and, and discuss things with each other. So
4: for any uh, people in the audience that work working in schools, how what's the methodology? How have you set this up?
7: Uh, it came from discussing, actually, with our Teach First partners. Um, we, we were quite a big school in terms of the, the recruitment that we, we do from them, and they were piloting projects and schemes around mentorship and, and those sorts of things so we took it upon ourselves and um, the borough that we work in as well um, have, have offered us a free trial of um, in-school CAMS workers so that was something that we were able to take advantage of in in building in that capacity that lots of other schools are not able to build in but we've taken advantage of it and really ensured that well-being is taught explicitly to the children but also it's the staff around them are okay, And Could
4: you uh, maybe sum up uh, a bit of feedback from one of your colleagues uh, a highlight? I, I, I'll give it from a, from a
7: leadership point of view. It's our retention. So our retention in school is has been more successful over the past couple of years of this sort of approach than it was any time right, before fantastic. that. So we have, you know, we're in London, there's three schools within you know half a mile of us. Teachers can move on as quickly as they want to. But what we're finding is now that they they see that they are valued and they see that their professional development is valued and that they want to stay with us
4: to continue that journey. Right, fantastic. It's lovely to hear, Laura. Um, teacher tap mental health well being. What kind of uh, insights? Could you could you share with us sure. things so that you've asked?
5: We did some we did some work uh, earlier in the year, so our sample was a little bit smaller. But we found, even as we've grown, actually, that the, the results have tended to stand up. So I'm, I feel reasonably confident in these. Although we'll be repeating them again this year, what we found was that um, stress, or at least self-reported stress doesn't seem to correlate with uh, sickness and absence which is something that we ask about on a reasonably frequent basis just because we felt that would be an indicator towards turnover at the end of the year. What we do find is uh, one question seems to make a really big difference and it's whether or not people believe that their managers have realistic expectations. So if they feel that their job or the expectations on them are unrealistic, they seem to have much higher rates of sickness, and they seem to be much less happy at work, and therefore, probably, we think, when we look into the data shortly, more likely to have high turnover. Now, if that's the case, from a school's perspective, there's quite an easy question that you can ask your staff. Do you feel that the expectations on you are realistic? And the people who are saying no are probably the ones who you need to be putting some support in. Now, if it's a mentoring system that can help with that, then you're likely to get improved retention. So it seems like a very simple finding, actually.
4: So essentially, if you don't ask, you won't know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so but you've got to ask to the, the <laughs> right
5: question don't ask people if they're stressed because that doesn't seem to help but if you ask are our expectations realistic that does seem to give you so useful you got information any, uh,
4: you know, so, so if you've asked that kind of question of your uh, teachers that have signed up is there any information that you're getting back that's become quite illuminating
5: um, about what would actually help them out? Uh,
4: either the causes and possible solutions that other people are doing.
5: So one thing we don't seem to pick up on in the same way is this idea of Ofsted being um, a driver of a lot of the workload. It, I think it probably is for head teachers, but for your average classroom teacher, they are incredibly driven by wanting to do the best by the pupils. And we did this um, um, set of questions where we asked about marking and how much people were marking each week we asked them several times in a row. And then a few weeks later, we said, if no one knew how much marking you did, parents, Ofsted, your senior managers, how much less would you do? You know, around half of teachers said they would carry on doing the same amount. And that was whether they were doing 10 hours of marking or two hours of marking. In fact, if you were only doing two hours, you were more likely to say you'd do less than if you were the sort of person who did 10.
4: It's interesting, because I've been conducting... uh Not that Twitter is a reliable source of collecting data, but uh, if Ofsted can use 1,500 people's voices, then I'm going to use 200,000. So I've been asking um, on my Twitter channels what are the reasons for teacher workload, and time and time again, the results categorically say school leadership. And I've started to unpick that a little bit more. You know, is it leadership habits, perceptions from external forces? Um, And as a former school leader, um, it's 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 quite... uh, soul destroying really that there are leaders out there that might not actually want the best for their teachers um, I'm going to give a piece of paper to my panellists to have a little look at This is, they've not seen this before um, I just want a little show of hands, has anyone seen the latest Department for Education uh, workload guidance that was published ok, uh, anyone notice what day it was published Tony not this specific day, I'll, give me a month day before school broke up 21st of July 2018. So the DFE updated their guidance and published quite a few new documents. So I am very fascinated by all this stuff. And I've had a look through all the toolkit and all their documents. And I've given my panel one of the exemplary pieces of data. Uh, And in a nutshell, it's collecting data on data. So I'm going to, I put this out on Twitter a couple of days ago. So I'm going to give them a few thoughts to stew over uh, and ask for their opinions on that document. Um, So let's start with Rory.
7: I don't really know where to begin. Um,
4: <laughs> this, be, is the per- this is an exemplary piece of guidance shared by a school uh-huh. to the Department for Education and published on the DfE site as a, a template to use.
7: Okay. Um, so just
4: for your eyes hmm. only, uh, uh, I know you can't see this, it's a, it's a blank piece of paper, four headings across the top, and it's essentially, we'll get an image tweeted out shortly, um, it's collecting bits of data on how much you collect data for. So, Rory, what, what are your immediate thoughts on, if this is our guidance for the profession?
7: I, I'm, I'm not sure that I'd be sharing this with my teaching staff. That would be my first point of call. Um, I think it's possibly, it's questionable. You could ask good questions of your own senior leadership team off it, but it's certainly not something I would be handing to my teachers to complete for me.
4: Okay. Uh, James? Immediate thought? I'll start with the positives. <laughs>
6: The questions are the right questions, actually in Venice, I think you know, the, one of the questions on there is, what impact does this have on pupils? That is entirely the right question to ask when we're looking at workload, you know, we, you know in terms of marking, is what we're doing now having a positive impact on pupils? Is it having a high enough impact to justify a relatively time intensive activity for example um, so I think that is the right sort of question whether or not we need to put it into a spreadsheet and create extra work in order to judge the workload again I'm not sure this would be the route I would go down but perhaps some of the thinking behind it is well intentioned okay well
4: said uh, Laura any <laughs> immediate thoughts Laura
5: so I, I actually am going to defend the Department of Education a little bit on this one which is probably unexpected. But um, during the the whichever election of the last few years it was, I think it was the 2015 election, this was actually a promise. So the workload toolkit, I think, was said by a politician on a stage. And when I was in charge of Schools Week, we would spend quite a lot of time looking back at promises that people had been made and we would be on the phone checking to find out whether they were going to implement them. And this is one of the ones that I harangued them about quite badly. And I honestly thought at some point they would work out that there was no toolkit that they could provide but of course they didn't. They doubled down and some poor civil servant somewhere has been told that you absolutely must create a document which will save everybody some time. Which probably
6: took them ages to design all these things ironically.
5: Yeah, But it it goes to something actually about workload more broadly which is that... uh, Unfortunately, you know, politicians are put in circumstances where they need to say things that make good headlines, that make good television, and that rolls all the way down the hill to the classroom. And quite often, that is what then causes random amounts of workload. And I don't think we should take politics out of education, but I think sometimes we could have better moments in that rolling down the hill where someone has the guts to just say, "Guys, really, we we don't care that you broke that promise. It wasn't one you should have ever have made." And I don't think we yet have good enough systems to do that.
4: Okay. Um I mean, And I would agree, to be fair, there are lots of good templates in the toolkit. Um, so I'm actually going to come to one now. Um, and I'm going to blog this out in the morning. So these are some questions from the Department for Education for school leaders to ask of their own staff. Uh, and another question I want to ask you later is, what, if Ofsted want to start testing workload in schools, is that a positive or negative um, thing to do? I'd, I'd like your views on that. So here's the first question um, from the DfE reducing workload. This is how to structure a conversation. Um, what would you change, Rory, which you believe would have a positive impact on reducing workload whilst maintaining standards?
7: Okay. Um, my uh, An example I can give you from this year at our school is that we've totally thrown out our assessment uh, monitoring system because it was a very labour intensive, click the box, tick, change the colour. You were assessing on very minute strand differences across the whole curriculum. And that was, you know, it was weighing the pig constantly rather than actually seeing what was happening in your school. So we, we made that decision already. We've taken that out of our school so that the assessment is now streamlined. It's very clearly marking against the broad subject. It's not about the minutiae of the detail because that means the teachers are going to be able to make informed decisions about what's happening in their classroom. And
4: again, when did you start this?
7: Said, literally three weeks ago. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's so it's too trial. early
4: to tell impact. Um, so James, what would be your number one idea in um, terms of... If I were in school now, what I would sort look to, at to reduce you know what would you take away to have a positive impact?
6: yeah if I was still in school now, the first thing I'd go back to is look at our marking policy, and I say that as someone who, as a school leader, I look back now and wince at the kind of marking policy I oversaw and I implemented um, and there's some factors behind why I did um, because at the time Ofsted were criticizing schools when they were finding books that didn't have long diagnostic marking in and they were celebrating schools when they did. So being the conscientious school leader that I hope I was, I tried to protect our school and, and make sure we did well in Ofsted. Um, so we can look at the history of that. But I think so we still have so many marking policies where they're hugely labour intensive for relatively minimal impact sometimes. Now I'm not suggesting we just scrapple marking, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying let's really focus on how we make it as efficient as possible. So a good example for me would be, I remember looking through um, some books, one of our teacher's books, and there were sort of 30 maths books. And I looked through and I would say 75% of those had exactly the same written comment um, and exactly the same challenge for them to do the next day. And you sort of think, this probably you know, took that teacher maybe one, two minutes to write that. But when you multiply that by 20 books, you start looking at, well, this is 30, 40 minutes of marking. I'm sure after book three, she knew what she needed to do tomorrow. Um, but she felt, and you know, to take the blame for this, I was asking her to make sure there was evidence in the book that that feedback had been given so that we could prove it to someone. Um, and I think what I'd like to think now is I'd have the courage to say... If after book two, you start realising there's a common thread, don't write it in every book. Tomorrow morning, that's the start of your next lesson. You don't need to write this down. Um, And in fairness to Ofsted, they're now clarifying, they're not expecting to see that. Um, But for me, I would go straight back in and look at marking, I think, because I think that's such a drain on time. So I I,
4: I would say that uh, on my travels doing teacher training last year... um, After 25 years of teaching, I'm still struggling to find the most effective strategy for marking. Not that a silver bullet fixes everything, but um, insights from what I collect. uh, Let's just say the most effective idea takes you five minutes. If your school then says do it once a week for 30 children all year... Uh, And you might teach five different subjects as a primary teacher or five different classes, it equates to about four days of non stop marking. And no teacher works 24 hours a day, so a five minute strategy takes eight days of marking uh, if a school insists um, that you do this once a week. Um, Laura, what what would you change? uh, What do you think would have a positive impact? Uh, what are your users saying on TeacherTap?
5: So mark- marking comes up a lot, and actually one of my favourite statistics on this is that I think the number is 66%. It's in that range. 66% of schools tell teachers what colour to mark work in. And we had someone who got in touch and their school required them to do a certain type of marking in aqua-coloured pens. And just imagine the amount of time that is wasted trying to find your aqua-coloured pen. Um, so I, I, I sort of think that's ludicrous. The other one for us is this issue around flexible working and around, around emails. So when we started looking into it, um, it, secondary teachers in particular spend a lot more time on emails than primary teachers. And we, we reckoned the, ast- the estimates we were getting back was around six hours Hours a week. Six hours a week on email is a teaching day. That's a whole extra day of work. So I think I understand that email is in place of other systems. And I understand that that might save you some time. But again, I think we make the same sorts of shortcuts that we make in our diet with our workload. And in the end, that can catch up with us. So we think that by emailing, we are doing something more quickly. um, But it's a bit like sort of convenience food in the end. Yeah, and what what
4: we end up doing is teachers are either doing it on their flexible working days off or uh, they're at their desk trying to teach the class and delete or read an email. Uh, Rory, what's that look like? in your school in terms of email workload? So we're really clear that teachers shouldn't be uh, looking at emails during the day. There is an expectation that key
7: messages may be delivered through email um, but there isn't an expectation that teachers are required to email copious amounts of information to their colleagues across the schools. What I find as a school leader is that if I I need to say it, and it's a, particularly if it's a one-to-one conversation. I need to go and have that conversation, and I think that's what I'm trying to, you know, uh, develop my assistant head teachers to do the same. Because I don't, I don't wish for the conversation to happen on electronic means, and then go and have the face-to-face, or even worse, in my opinion, is have the face-to-face and then follow up with an email. Because I think sometimes that can send the message that yeah, we talked about it, but now I'm really going to check that you're going to do it. And I think if I want to develop that culture of a personal, we're going to talk about it because it's important. I don't need to then email you about it as well
4: so hopefully coaching culture and uh, yeah. teachers re- uh, staying in your school is a good indication uh, that you can address that james yeah I, I was just thinking about
6: the email thing and i'd sort of show my age here perhaps um email obviously was around when i was in school i just <laughs> like to point that out, i'm not that old um but i remember and when i was at an nqt and certainly for the first few years of teaching we didn't use email at all to communicate now, maybe slightly different. I was primary background, so our school. I don't know. You were secondary, so it might I be was different. Secondary, but, and it was the same. And, all right, yeah, and, and I kind of look back and think we survived. We all got the messages. Um, we all communicated. We had a weekly briefing. You know, we had we had pigeonholes, um, mm-hmm. but. You know, I wonder if what this what this is one of those cases where technology has allowed us to do more, so we've done more. Mm-hmm. And actually, you, I'd, I'd almost be interested to do an experiment and say, what about if for, you know, six months in a school, we didn't use email? Actually, would that, would we just find quicker, more efficient ways, or we just communicate the things that need to be communicated rather than CCing half the staff in because it's easy to do. Um, Makes me sound like a really terrible Luddite in a technology event. I realise that. I think I remember email in 1997,
4: but maybe I was dreaming. Um, I just want to come back to flexible working. So, NEHT, you know, we see, you know, if I had the... uh, if I was brave enough to step up to be ahead, and I, I didn't quite get there, but um, I would have considered maybe a part-time or a job share. And there's a few grassroots networks. Uh, the names have just escaped me at the moment. But have, have, in your NEHT um, kind of insights behind the scenes, uh, what are school leaders wanting, reporting? Are people doing job shares yeah, more? Yeah,
6: so in, that is increasingly happening. You're absolutely right. The kind of the joint headship, which was kind of you know five six years ago it was almost unheard of and or can there was you tell a us the
4: reasons behind these uh
6: requests or new patterns of working i mean i think partly it's it's a recognition that it's, it's an enormous job and actually some people were saying you know if i want to uh, i was speaking to uh, two people the other day who did a joint headship and they said basically it allows us to have our kind of family life and to be a head teacher now, it shouldn't be like that, but that was the kind of the motivation for them. they were saying, actually, I can have a few days when I'm not in school. Um, but I think it's partly it reflects the kind of the scale and the enormity of the job. Um, there's also an element of headship is an incredibly lonely business, actually, at times. And, I, I, you know, I look back now and actually, if I'd been able to do a job show as a head, I think I'd have quite enjoyed that, actually having somebody else alongside you, you know, particularly in your kind of first headship. Um, it's quite a nice thing to do, I think. So do you have uh, any numbers in terms of no, your membership? No, I, don't, I couldn't give you exact numbers, but increase... I, I, just, I, I tell you what, I remember kind of um, three or four years ago we had an article in our um, magazine about this, uh, these people are doing joint headship, and this was really strange, and wasn't this interesting and new? It, now I'm hearing about it a lot more, and as mm. you say, there's kind of networks out there, and I'm trying to think there's a network whose name escapes me at the moment. I'm speaking to Might be some, shared headship. Yeah, it literally <laughs> probably is that, um, I and mean, actually encouraging people to step yeah. up and do it, and I think
4: it's just you know the more people do it, the more we. I think an, an ex-colleague of mine, who was uh, an ex-teach first, Lucy Heelan, uh, the I name you're right. I think it was in your paper, um, shared headship. Uh, so you know different ways of working. Um, so yeah, fascinating. Uh, so I'm going to come back to this Ofsted question. If Ofsted go in and test workload, what do you see, Rory, as the benefits or the negative implications of that?
7: Um, I, I'm not sure that it would necessarily be a true reflection of what teachers would be experiencing because I think if you put anything through the Offset lens, there is always a, a feeling that they'll tell the story that they think they need to tell to to promote the school. So there may be internal things that they're struggling with or finding difficult, but Offset wouldn't be the place that they would necessarily share that. So I'm not sure that going along that line would necessarily improve teacher workload no, in schools. No
4: positives? I.
7: I it sounds as if it's sort of uh, an, a nod to the current acknowledgement that there is a problem with workload, but I'm not sure that the actual outcome of that particular piece of work would be particularly valuable. I think you know more okay. of you know the teacher tap idea, where it's a slightly more anonymous. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. school linked. Those ideas where they can share confidently and confidentially is probably an, an interesting and okay. more valuable
4: source of information. Uh, and Laura, your views.
5: Um, I would just focus on teacher retention. I think it's a much easier metric. And ultimately, it's one of those things that, let's say, schools put loads of effort into it great. Like, there's no ben- there's no downside no. to school leaders putting loads of time and effort into making sure that teachers stay within their schools. You have to be able to benchmark it against local markets and you've got to be able to tell a story as with any data where if you had underperforming teachers mm-hmm. that you weren't afraid of those teachers um, leaving but ultimately we should be trying to keep as many staff as happy as possible because the longer they have relationships with the pupils the better mm-hmm. those pupils learn and the better it is mm-hmm. for everybody.
4: And agree and uh, it's certainly not a kind of sausage roll Wednesday or addressed down Friday but the coaching idea that you're doing uh, regularly <laughs> uh, some of the th- <laughs> gimmicks that I've experienced in my career to improve staff well-being sausage rolls and yeah. for breakfast and things like that yeah. um so Rory you're doing the coaching idea yeah. uh, and you talked about teacher retention how do you think that's impacting on your staff's well-being you've we've already touched on it briefly so we're, we're a teaching school as well so we're able to draw in some resources
7: in that regard but it it means that teachers who start with us as an NQT or as a you know, second year with experience there's already a pathway established for them so they can see what courses we offer and what things that we can provide to them depending on their personal interests in subject knowledge or in terms of them as future leaders so because they can see that two, three, four year journey as themselves that helps them want to stay in the, in the, in the building and in the, in the group of schools. We're also lucky that we are a close federation of three which means that opportunities that may arise in one school can be accessed by other members from the other schools so that sort of joined up thinking around what we can do with the assets that we've got in the building allows us to progress as a group of schools and ultimately build those relationships for a longer period of time, which is key.
4: Okay, thank you. So we're on our, our last question. Any audience got a burning question they want to ask? Now's the time. Or I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to ask uh, for colleagues the top tips to reduce teacher workload. So James... I'd go back, go back to the marking. marking. If, you, if I could only do
6: one thing, I'd go back and look at our marking policy and see can we find a way to make this impactful but not overly time-consuming? So many
4: schools are moving to feedback now, so we are allowed to talk to our students. Uh, and that's another way of us providing that feedback. Uh, Rory? I I'm,
7: I'm, was probably going to go against what you are going to say, but it's our our um, planning format has entirely changed recently. So we now have a, a G Suite cloud-based planning, which means that teachers can and choose to quite often collaborate across the, the okay. planning. So Fantastic. that's a, a top tip for us. No
4: paper, synchronise, the yeah. latest version. Excellent. And Laura? Uh,
5: ask whether or not people feel that the expectations on them are realistic. And then maybe just ask if there was one thing... that that we could do as a school that would make those expectations more realistic what should it be?
4: I don't think I've ever used an aqua pen Um, okay thank you everybody um, for coming to listen to us thank you Rory, James and Laura it's been a pleasure my name is Ross, teacher toolkit and have a nice evening, afternoon bye bye
1: thanks for listening everyone as we mentioned in the intro, VJ Lingia of Flash Academy was the winner of the past Call cool Initiatives competition, of which I was a judge. Here he is reflecting on his win in May of this year.
8: Yeah, so Flash Academy, so we're in EdTech, uh, the EdTech's learning labs. We're based at the uh, Innovation Birmingham campus. Um, we're essentially a, t- a bunch of former teachers, linguists and techies exploring how technology can be used at the moment really to Trying to address this area of VAL, so English as an additional language.
1: Obviously, I've just come out of the the judging room, and um, I think what caught uh, the judges' eye with Flash Academy was addressing the sort of a, a stress on teachers when they're working with students of multiple languages, with English as a second language, and then also. You know it's addressing a very real problem
8: it's an enormous challenge not many people know that the number of uk school pupils with eal has doubled over the last 10 years Um, we have 1.3 million uk school pupils now uh, with eal one that's one in five at primary and one in six at secondary Um, and it can be incredibly challenging i think for teachers and practitioners in schools um, when they have a number of pupils in front of them that have low level english but all speak a different home language um, and it's incredibly challenging for the pupils as well to come into that environment and not perhaps always get um, the support that they need to go on and, and succeed.
1: And so how did you come into, you know, Flash Academy? How did you go about launching that? What's the kind of story? You know, behind it's, that?
8: it's strange, isn't it? But when we actually started, we launched um, a brand called Flash Sticks, which is the genesis of, of Flash Academy and flash sticks is um, a brand of um, printed post-it notes for vocabulary for foreign language vocabulary um, that we produce with the post-it brand and they're in WH Smith and Amazon and places like that Um, but it soon became apparent working with schools and we you know we meet with a lot of schools and we've met with over 100 schools in the last 12 months and when we sat in with them there was this huge need for EAL as well as the MFL work that we were doing and we saw this real challenge around how to encourage the students to be independent and how to release the teacher or the teaching assistant in an EAL classroom um, when they were being really challenged by that language diversity.
1: And what's next? So, you know, you've got your £10,000 uh, comet relief size check. Yeah, what, would, what do you think, what are you going to do with the money?
8: Um, there's a couple of things. We need to add more home languages. We work with a lot of unaccompanied asylum seeker children um, that have often come from war-torn regions, have no family here. And that's led us to developing languages like Tigrinya, Pashtau, um, Susu. That, um,
1: uh, I- I'm just going to ask for everyone listening because I don't even know where some of those come from. So Tigrinya
8: come, so. is from Eritrea. Wow. Um, and so... Um, and so maybe there aren't huge numbers of these children, but they are important. Mm-hmm. I was the only non-white pupil at my primary school. Um, so I know what it's like to feel different at school and it and it can be quite a not an alienating experience, but it can be challenging. And I think if we can just ensure there isn't a language barrier, you know, school's hard enough without one. Mm-hmm. If we can help break that down early on, I think it could make a real difference to um, some of these children's lives.
1: And I'm just thinking of... Uh there's a Chinese company called Lulu Shao, and that's all AI generated. Can you imagine? Uh, and it's also a language company. Can you imagine?
8: Yeah, I think it's all coming. I mean, look at passionate. Google I/O and and Duplex and uh, the amount of natural language processing and deep learning, machine learning that's coming. And we're incorporating elements of that into our platform as well. So I just think it's exciting, and I think technology is going to enable a lot of new opportunities for learning for for kids. But also, it's going to deliver meaningful benefit for teachers as well um, as they embrace it
1: and finally how about corporate training yeah things? so
8: we're in discussions um with some car manufacturers as example in the automotive sector at the moment to help with workplace training because again they have diverse often skilled workforces with low levels of english and and they can see i think benefit for health and safety training or productivity benefit when employees first come on board so um, we're having a lot of uh, interesting discussions at the moment about where that could lead as well
1: Fantastic. And so geographically speaking, if people are interested to connect with you, are you based up near Birmingham? Or? We are. We're at yeah. the
8: Innovation Birmingham campus. Oh, yeah. um, they can find us at flashacademy.com. Um, they can give us a call. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of schools sitting with a lot of schools at the moment and a lot of trusts um, to see how we can help with their EAL challenge.
1: Cool. Thank you very much.
8: Thank you. Thanks, Sophie.
1: If you've got a cool idea like Flash Academy, get in touch with cool initiatives at coolinitiatives.com. Like this episode... Your idea could be about saving teacher time or helping to support better CPD. That's all for this week. Check back soon for some upcoming episodes on AI in education, new global education competitions and more from the UFI Upskilling mini-series. Bye-bye.